All right, all right, all right. This is the Michael Slate Show. I want to say good morning and welcome. My name is Sansara Taylor, and I am pleased and honored once again to be back as the guest host here on Michael Slate, standing in on behalf of my dear friend and comrade who is out still, but will be back before too long. And and we've got a great show for you. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. But first, well, I'm torn. I want to dive right in, but I'll tell you what's coming on the show. Then we'll dive right in. We're going to get into the death of Gorbachev. We're going to get into the death of some relics of a past era, including the death of the queen. The queen is dead. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we're going to give it the proper respect or disrespect that everything her life symbolized deserves. Um, The queen is dead. Gorbachev is dead. We'll get into Gorbachev's death and some lessons for this country at this time towards the end of the hour with the segment from Lenny Wolf. It's going to be uh, quite profound and deep. We're going to hear from Bob Avakian on really what his life, his life's work has been about and getting to the core of what this country, the American empire and the so-called democracy for all, the, the truth that is underneath this lie that we all need to confront. It's an excerpt from his dialogue that he held with Cornell West uh, back in 2014 up at Riverside Church in Harlem, New York City called Revolution and Religion, the Fight for Emancipation and the Role of Religion. It was an extraordinary event. And this is really a riveting portion of his presentation. I can't wait to share it with you. And it'll tie into themes that are touched on in the first segment we're going to get into, which is digging into Biden's recent speeches. Biden has been out there. He's been, he even used the F word, semi-fascism, to talk about the MAGA Republicans. A lot of people are getting excited. They think here comes Biden, the fighter, um, finally standing up to these fascist Republicans. And he has been sounding the alarm and there's an element of truth in what he's saying, but there's also tremendous, tremendous danger if we take it on face value. So we're gonna have a segment from Rafael Caderas that he put together for the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, um, breaking down Biden's speech and where the interests of the people, the masses of people. And when I say the masses of people, I'm talking not just people in this country, but the masses of people throughout the world, including people in this country, where our interests lie and why they do not lie with either the fascist Republicans or the Biden Democrats. Um, so that's that's how we will uh, start the show off. But before we go there, the queen is dead and we're going to take a moment with the Sex Pistols. Let's listen.
Next, we're going to be hearing from RNL show correspondent Rafael Cadaras about several recent speeches from Joe Biden. Many are heralding these speeches as fiery and as a sign that Biden is finally coming out swinging against the Republicans. Right now, there's a sharp clash at the top of this society over how America should be ruled in order to best preserve their system. There's also an international dimension to what Biden is doing, but that's a subject for another day. This clash has intensified over the summer with the January 6th hearings and the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Biden's recent speeches illustrate this sharpening divide and may contribute to it. And this clash is only going to deepen and could erupt even more explosively at any time. And all this could hold the possibility of fundamental revolutionary change if we seize on it. But Biden's recent speeches also illustrate why choosing between those two sides at the top and getting behind the Democrats would be disastrous. Here's Raphael to break it down. In several speeches over the last week, Joe Biden has gone on the offensive, fighting for what he calls the soul of America, with its democracy under threat from the Republican fascists. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. He even used the F word, fascism, at a private fundraiser, calling them semi-fascists. During a fundraiser last night, the president said, quote, what we're seeing now is the beginning or the death knell of an extreme MAGA philosophy. It's not just Trump. It's the entire philosophy that underpins the, I'm going to say something, it's like semi-fascism. That's a quote. In actual fact, there's nothing semi about the fascism of these Republicans. Trump and the fascist Republican Party are hell-bent on imposing their fascist form of rule and they're hardening, actively mobilizing to regain power, not only through denying oppressed groups the right to vote, but nullifying elections and preparing for violence. They're doubling down on the false claim that the last election was stolen and openly preparing to take revenge on those who stand in their way. As you know, this week, Joe Biden came to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to give the most vicious, hateful, and divisive speech ever delivered by an American president. He's an enemy of the state. You want to know the truth? As Bob Avakian put it, the Republicans have become a fascist party, a party based on open and aggressive white supremacy, male supremacy, and other oppressive relations, a party convinced that only it deserves to rule moving to manipulate elections and suppress votes in order to gain and hold on to power, refusing to accept the outcome of elections it does not win, determined to gut and pervert the rule of law, trample on people's rights, and adopt what amounts to an undisguised capitalist dictatorship, ready to use violence not only against masses of people, but also against its rivals in the ruling class. But what is Biden's answer to this threat? As B.A. put it, the Democrats are trying to keep things together with more disguise and deception, with the claim that what exists in this country is a great democracy, representing the will of the people. And for this reason, it deserves to be and needs to be the most powerful force in the world. 
But in reality, both of these ruling class parties are working to maintain the violent, oppressive power, the dictatorship of this capitalist imperialist system, with all the horrors for humanity this involves. Let's take a deeper look at Biden's speeches this past week, what they reveal about the Democratic Party, and why falling for this would be a deadly trap and would squander what could be an opportunity for an actual revolution in this country. To the extent that Biden feels forced to more openly acknowledge the fascist character of the Republican Party and the extremely sharp and irreconcilable divide throughout society, including within the ruling class itself, he is speaking to an important truth. But the question here is, what does Biden do in the face of that? And what are we going to do in the face of that? In an August 30th speech in Wilkes-Bar, Pennsylvania, Biden coupled his attacks on the MAGA Republicans with gushing praise for the police. When it comes to public safety in this nation, the answer is not defund the police. It's fund the police. Fund the police. Biden brushed off this country's systematic police murder and terror against black people, saying that there are a few bad cops, like there are bad lawyers and doctors, and called for 100,000 new cops nationwide. I know we expect so much from our law enforcement officers, so we need to support them. That's why my crime plan to help communities recruit, hire, and train nationwide more than 100,000 additional officers. In response to the MAGA attacks on the FBI for the raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, Biden backed the FBI and called for more funding for federal police as well. And now it's sickening to see the new attacks on the FBI. I'm opposed to defunding the police. I'm also opposed to defunding the FBI. But what is the FBI? A den of deceitful spies with a long, bloody history of suppressing resistance and revolution in order to enforce the existing order. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover today asserted that the Black Panthers represent the greatest internal threat to the nation. He ordered his agents not only to expose new left groups, but to take action against them to neutralize them. In an even more unusual move, Biden delivered his September 1st speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, flanked in the background by two U.S. Marines. Mainstream media headlines declared, Biden aims to showcase his faith for the military apparatus and its ability to bring back the democratic order. But what is this military apparatus and what kind of order is it fighting for? As the declaration from the Revcoms put it, the military of this country is not carrying out an honorable service and it is not some kind of badass force that people should respect. It is doing the same thing around the world on a massive scale that the police are doing here, carrying out the cowardly killing and terrorizing of people in the service of the biggest oppressors in this world, the rulers of this country. And it is a major cause of the destruction of the environment. Biden began his speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia like this. This is where America made its declaration of independence to the world more than two centuries ago with an idea unique among nations that in America, 
We're all created equal. This is where the United States Constitution was written and debated. This is where we set in motion the most extraordinary experiment of self-government the world has ever known. With three simple words, we the people, we the people, these two documents and the ideas they embody, equality and democracy, are the rock upon which this nation is built. The rock upon which this nation is built? We the people in the U.S. Constitution is nothing but a disguise on a mountain of These founding documents, which codified slavery and extermination of what they called the merciless Indian savages, while preaching about democracy, equality, and inalienable rights, are not what make America exceptionally good. They're the foundation of why, as Frederick Douglass put it, for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. It is way past time to see the reality of what America is and does to people here and around the world, and to stop deceiving yourself by the honeyed words of ruling class politicians. We have never fully realized the aspirations of our founding, but every generation has opened those doors a little bit wider to include more people who have been excluded before. Speaking of opening doors wider, here's what police were doing in Columbus, Ohio, on the same day Biden spoke in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. For Donovan, where's he at? Officers then entering with the canine to find Lewis. Authorities say Officer Ricky Anderson fired one shot at Lewis after the bedroom door is opened. Lewis appears to be raising his hands before being struck and collapsing. Murdering unarmed Donovan Lewis, a 20-year-old black man as he lay in bed, also on the same day in New York. This is the video posted to social media that shows a chaotic arrest that you see get even more chaotic. And he responds with what looks like a wallop of a punch. A black New York City pig decked 19-year-old Tamani Crum, and then the black mayor, Eric Adams, defended this assault. Opening the door to a few diverse faces, to carry out the same torment and terror black people have suffered at the hands of this system for 400 years. My fellow Americans, America is an idea. The most powerful idea in the history of the world. No, America is not an idea. It is a system of exploitation. And the ideas it promotes, from the slave owner founders to Biden's speeches on democracy and inclusivity, have always served to cover over and justify the system's brutal oppression. As Bob Avakian put it, the essence of what exists in the U.S. is not democracy, but capitalism, imperialism, and political structures to enforce that capitalism, imperialism. What the U.S. spreads around the world is not democracy, but imperialism and political structures to enforce that imperialism. The answer is revolution and a new socialist economic system and political structures based on meeting the needs of the people and carrying forward the fight for a communist world where there will finally be an end everywhere to the exploitation, oppression, and destruction of the environment that is built into the system of capitalism imperialism. After describing the existential danger posed by the MAGA Republicans, how they're taking away basic rights and subverting elections, tearing up the norms and threatening violence? What was Biden's call to action? Did he call people into the streets to stand up to the fascist assault on women's right to abortion? 
Did he tell people to protest and resist the laws that are being passed in state after state to take away voting rights and enable fascist state governments to nullify the vote if it doesn't go their way? No. As he told his audience in Maryland last week. We just have to keep the faith. We just have to persevere. We just have to vote. Vote. Keep the faith? No. People need to confront reality. Humanity faces profound and existential crises driven by the system of capitalism imperialism. In addition to the rising fascism that is very real and advancing by the day, there is the escalating climate disaster and the growing threats of imperialist war and even nuclear war. Biden and the Democrats have no answer to any of this besides clinging to the very norms the fascist Republicans are shredding and fighting in their own way to perpetuate the same system that spawned these fascists and all the other horrors which are built into it. If you are cheerleading Biden's recent speeches because you're alarmed by the very real fascist threat, you need to think about what you're endorsing. The even more forceful assertion of America's murderous armed force, the jingoism and American exceptionalism, the lie that this is a democracy for all. Is that your answer to Trump? There is another way. Revolution and the new communism developed by Bob Avakian. This revolution is even more possible because of the sharpening divisions in this country. And there's a roadmap for this revolution in the pathbreaking work for, from BA, something terrible or something truly emancipating. There's the inspiring and realistic vision for a whole new society. There are revolution clubs in cities around the country working to take up and apply this roadmap. There's deep analysis and guidance for this revolution every week at Revcom.us and here on the RNL show. As Bob Avakian put it, Instead of being a tail on the democratic donkey, with its attempt to keep this monstrous system going and to deal with the growing fascist danger by relying on the normal procedure of this, of this system, and doomed efforts to heal the divisions that are deepening every day. People need to work for the revolution that is urgently needed and deal with the fascist danger as part of doing that. So that ended with the voice of Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader and the architect of the new communism, with one of the insteads that's part of a major work that he put out, something terrible or something truly emancipating. Profound crises, deepening divisions, the looming possibility of civil war, and the revolution we urgently need, a necessary foundation and a basic roadmap. That is a major work that he just put out. And so that was an excerpt at the end of this segment put together by Rafael Cadaris, who is a correspondent and contributor to Revcom.us and to the RNL, The Revolution Nothing Less Show, which is at youtube.com slash the Revcoms. Getting into Biden's recent speeches, and I know that people have been following this, maybe you have, 
maybe you haven't, but a lot of people have been, and a lot of people have been getting drawn into debating and evaluating Biden's speech on the terms of these imperialists. What's going to preserve the empire? You've had people cheering for the FBI, for the police, because Biden is cheering for the FBI and the police up against fascists who are even more vicious than the normal form of rule of this country. But as Raphael pointed out, these are the very institutions, the FBI, the police, who are guilty of, of vicious, ongoing crimes against the people in this country, especially black and brown people, and they enforce a system, a criminal system that pervades white supremacy, male supremacy, anti-immigrant horrors, imperialist exploitation of the world, destruction of the environment. And there's a, a need for us to demarcate the interests of the people from the interests of the empire, either section of the rulers, and for us to fight for our own interests, as Bob Avakian put in that instead. Instead of being a tail on the democratic donkey, we need to work and fight for revolution and take on the fascist danger in that context and as part of getting ready and building up the strength and organizing and preparing to make a revolution to bring this system down and replace it with a radically different system, a liberating, emancipating new economic system, social system, and transition to a liberated communist world. So that's a that's what we just heard. And you are listening, let me remind you, to the Michael Slate Show. And my name is Sunsara Taylor. I'm honored to be the guest host again this week. And with that, let's keep moving. Uh, the next segment, we're going to hear more directly and fully from Bob Avakian. This is, this is an excerpt of the presentation he gave at what was really a tremendous and incredible dialogue that he held with Cornell West up at Riverside Church in Harlem, New York City, uh, back in 2014 on revolution and religion, the fight for emancipation and the role of religion. I'm not going to give it any more introduction. It'll all make sense as soon as you start hearing it. This is Bob Avakian. Some people say, well, you're an advocate of violence. We can't have nothing to do with you. We can only deal with you if you renounce violence. Let me tell you what I am an advocate of. I am an advocate of ending oppression, exploitation, dehumanization, and degradation for people all over the world. I have spent most of my adult life actively working and fighting for this and wrangling in the level of theory and strategy to try to figure out how to actually fight through all the way and win. And it is on that basis that I have come to the conclusions that I have come to that a revolution is needed, what kind of revolution it is, what it needs to aim for, and how we have to go about that. And I am not going to back off of that. But have, have you noticed that many of these people that say, well, I can't have anything to do with you until you renounce violence? Don't say that to Barack Obama. Don't say that to Hillary Clinton. Don't say that to the Democratic Party. Don't say that to the U.S. government. Have you ever noticed? So let's talk about who are the real advocates and the real perpetrators of violence on a massive scale. First of all, first of all, 
This is a country founded on genocide and slavery, straight up. Huge numbers of Native Americans were slaughtered as their land was stolen, time after time, treaty after treaty broken. And then they were herded into concentration camps, those who remained called reservations. Millions of Africans died in the passage from Africa to the Americas to be, and those who survived in the millions were enslaved, whipped, brut brutally beaten, driven. As I said in the book Basics, the very first statement, there would be no United States as we now know it today without slavery. That is a simple and basic truth. And it is a truth that too many people, especially white people, don't want to face up to. And it's time we faced up to it and the full implications and meaning of it. If you read the book recently published called The Half Has Never Been Told About Slavery by Edward E. Baptist. I don't know if he is a Baptist, but that's his name. He wrote this book called The Half Has Never Been Told, and there he gives life to the reality of what I just said, that we would have no United States as we now know it today without the brutal system of slavery. The former slave and tireless fighter against slavery and oppression, Frederick Douglass, said it exactly right. In the language of today, he said, yes, the USA is number one. With its brutal and depraved system of slavery, it is number one in the world in barbaric treatment of people and disgusting lies to cover up and justify this slavery. Or, or in the words of Frederick Douglass himself, the United, in a speech he gave on July 4th, very appropriately, 1852, the United States is guilty of crimes which, as he put it, would disgrace a nation of savages. And he went on, for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. And that is still true. But is there today any big time bourgeois politician who will denounce the slave owners who are at the core of the founding fathers of this country? Will Hillary Clinton? Will Barack Obama? White supremacy has been woven into the foundation and the very structure of capitalism in this country from the beginning, into the capitalist democracy that we live under, which is a democracy on the terms in the interests and under the dictates of the capitalist class presiding over a system in which white supremacy is an integral and indispensable part without which they could not go on. Let's come closer to the present and just think about some of the violence advocated and carried out by the powers that be in this country.
Just in the years 1950 to 1975, in Korea, Indonesia, and Vietnam, and other countries, they slaughtered nearly 10 million people, all with the aim of maintaining and expanding an empire of exploitation. And all this after they had already dropped atomic bombs on two Japanese cities at the end of World War II, instantly incinerating much of the civilian populations and subjecting many who had survived to excruciating suffering. And they still uphold doing that. Try to find one of them who will denounce it as a crime against humanity. And they are still developing new generations of nuclear weapons. Yes, under Obama, who said we should move to abolish them, they are developing new generations of nuclear weapons with which they threaten the very existence of humanity. In 1967, Martin Luther King stood in this church, and in speaking out against the Vietnam War, he said, my government, the government of the United States of America is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. He was right then, and it has remained true ever since that time. <laughs> Bob Dylan, in one of his early great songs, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, talked about going where the executioner's face is always well hidden. That's here. The executioner's face is always well hidden, but it's hidden in plain sight. Everybody sees the people who run the country, but they don't want to see that they are mass executioners. Everybody talks about, oh, Iran, that's a terrible place, run by terrible Islamic fundamentalists, and it is, and they are. But nobody talks about what the U.S. did in overthrowing a popular government in Iran in the 1950s and creating the conditions that made it more favorable for horrific Islamic fundamentalists to come to power in Iran. They talk about ISIS and Osama bin Laden. They argue about who actually killed Osama bin Laden, writing books and arguing. But the fact is, as horrific as Osama bin Laden and ISIS are, as much as they are brutal oppressors, dehumanizing, degrading, viciously slaughtering people, they can only dream of doing this on the scale on which the government of this country has done it for decades and centuries. In just this country, since the year 2000, the police have executed thousands, thousands of our youth, overwhelmingly black and Latino youth. And then they say, well, yes, but you know, there's all this violence among these youth. They're killing each other. This is true. Tens of thousands of our youth have died in this way in the past few decades, and this too has to stop. We have to stop it. But you're not gonna stop it by telling them to be respectable and pull up their pants and act like good children. 
They know this system has nothing for them. They know it doesn't care about them, so they don't care. And we have to give them a vision, a program, and a way of standing up and fighting, and something to fight for that can make them want to change and take their anger and direct it where it needs to be directed. People say, well, if you fight in this way, you're going to become as bad as the people you're fighting against. Look at the Civil War. Civil War finally put an end to slavery. The Civil War finally put an end to slavery. And when they were fighting, hundreds of thousands of people died in the Civil War fighting in slavery. When they were allowed to do so, Nearly 200,000 black people joined in the fight to end slavery. In doing so, were they wrong? In taking up arms to crush the system of slavery and the slave owners, did they become just the same and just as bad as the slave owners and the slave system? No, they did not. And that was the voice of Bob Avakian that is from his presentation up at Riverside Church in Harlem, New York City, back in 2014 at the dialogue that he held with Cornell West on revolution and religion, the fight for emancipation, and the role of religion. And you hear the heart, the passion, the, the fire that is still within him 50 years or more since he became a revolutionary, he's never settled in. He's never made peace with this system. And in fact, he has not only deepened his passion and his urgency, there is a direct line, urgency and passion to bring this system down and make a revolution to emancipate humanity. There's a direct line between that and him deepening his scientific understanding and forging a deeper scientific framework of communist revolution. Um, and strategy and vision to make that real. And there's a real connection between the head and the heart and, and what he brings to this. Um, there's so much in that talk. I'm so glad to be able to share it with you, including the going at the thematic of we're told this country is such a bastion of freedom and democracy, but really who are the purveyors of violence on a massive scale, including these Democrats that we are told we have to rally and get behind again and again and again because the Republicans are worse but actually there's a whole different way the world could be. And we have to understand that and we have to understand the openings in this time, precisely because those at the top of society are so divided, so irreconcilably divided and those divisions go down throughout society in a, in a way that hasn't happened on this level since the lead up to the civil war. And we need to come out of this situation, not rallying behind one or another section of those who rule over us with ruthlessness, towards humanity and towards the planet itself, but actually rallying and making advances in the interests of the people ourselves and all of humanity for a real revolution, a different system and a different way the world could be. That is work, that is struggle, that takes risk, that takes sacrifice, but first and foremost, it takes breaking the hold of this system over our own thinking and imagining and daring to get scientific and serious about another way the world could be. And that's what Bob Avakian brings like no one else. 
So I'm really, again, happy to be able to share that with you. You are listening to The Michael Slate Show. Such an honor and a privilege and a thrill to be able to be the guest host here on behalf of Michael while he is out. I want to thank you for tuning in. Before we go to our final segment for the hour, I want to take just a moment. We're going to, on the theme and the thematic of the Queen is Dead and, and no reverence for the British Empire in its original sun never sets on its colonial ruthlessness around the world to its, uh, you know, the uh, Queen Elizabeth presided over a stable transition from that to a secondary empire, an appendage, imperialist appendage to the rising American empire. So what? Let's give her her proper uh, due and disrespect. We're going to have one more song that just has the right vibe. This is The Clash, Guns of Brixton. That is The Clash back in 1979. The spirit is still with us. Incredible song, incredible song. We are going to keep moving here uh, forward on the Michael Slate Show. Next up, we're going to hear a special segment from Lenny Wolf. 
who is a longtime follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Avakian, and an advocate for the new communism that Avakian has forged. He is speaking now on the much commented on death of Mikhail Gorbachev and what lessons uh, we really need to draw from his death and his experience for our time here today. Let's listen to Lenny Wolf. On August 30th of last week, Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, died. The wise men and women of the media, as well as some major ruling class figures, extensively covered and commented on this event, using to draw lessons from their point of view about autocracy versus democracy, about war and peace, about socialism, dictatorship, and democracy. As usual, these lessons were distorted through the lens of capitalist thinking and interests. Those so-called lessons have leaned on and reinforced all kinds of outright lies about the real history of the revolution in Russia. As the leader of the Russian Revolution and the truly great communist V.I. Lenin said, it takes 10 pages of truth to unravel a single paragraph of falsehood. We're not going to do that unraveling tonight, but we are going to post resources on Revcom.us tonight to help ground you in the real truth about the history of the Soviet Union. Instead, here, tonight, we want to focus on one question in particular. What lesson can be drawn from the rise and fall of Mikhail Gorbachev for the situation within the U.S. today? Now, the Soviet Union, which Gorbachev headed, hasn't existed for over 30 years. Most people today don't know much about it, and some may not even have heard of it. So let's quickly do some background. The Soviet Union came into existence in the years after the 1917 Russian Revolution. This revolution overthrew one of the most oppressive empires in the world, ruled by a king called the Tsar. This was followed by five years of civil war that ended in victory for the revolution and brought together 15 nations into the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, or USSR. This was the world's first socialist country dedicated to liberating all of humanity. But by the time Gorbachev assumed leadership, the Soviet Union had been socialist in name only for 30 years. The one-time inspiring revolution had kept its name and some of its outward forms. But by the mid-1950s, a new leadership core came to power that began to restructure the economy on a fully capitalist basis. The one-time revolutionary base area for the world revolution was now locked in a deadly rivalry with the United States to be top dog imperialist power. During the 1980s, this rivalry became extremely intense. America used its far wealthier economy to massively build up its edge in nuclear war fighting, as well as its armed forces generally. And the U.S. leadership made clear 
that it was more than willing to gamble with the very existence of humanity to maintain its monstrous empire. Key forces within the Soviet ruling class assessed that they could not hope to prevail militarily against the U.S. Something new, something different, had to be done. The old ways wouldn't work for them anymore. Enter Gorbachev, who rose to power in 1985 with a program of political and economic reforms designed to strengthen the Soviets' hand against the U.S. This program included Glasnost, which promised more openness in society to dissent and debate, and Perestroika, which aimed to restructure the economy to make it more efficient and profitable. Gorbachev also made a series of arms control deals with the U.S., in part to buy time for his reforms to take hold and to help the struggling Soviet economy. But these reforms collided with the way that powerful forces within the Soviet ruling class saw their interests. And the reforms also uncorked political forces within Soviet society that Gorbachev had not anticipated and could not fully control. First within the Soviet Union itself, and then in the countries that formed what was called the Soviet bloc, Poland, Czechoslovakia, what was then called East Germany, and others. Gorbachev's gamble did not succeed. Powerful forces in the army finally arrested Gorbachev in the late summer of 1991. In response, the increasingly openly pro-capitalist political figure Boris Yeltsin rallied other forces. Yeltsin freed Gorbachev, but then Yeltsin essentially took control. He quickly dissolved the Soviet Union, dropped any remaining pretense to socialism, and opted to pursue a different path within the U.S.-dominated imperialist order. Gorbachev retired from political life in Russia. In something terrible or something truly emancipating, profound crisis, deepening divisions, the looming possibility of civil war, and the revolution that is urgently needed, a necessary foundation, a basic roadmap for this revolution, Bob Avakian discusses this experience and its relevance to today. B.A. says, There is some important historical experience to learn from. Situations where a ruling class was no longer able to rule in the normal way that people had been conditioned to accept, and a real possibility arose of putting an end to the existing system, even one which had been so powerfully entrenched that such a profound change had long seemed impossible. This has happened especially when the ruling class or a section of the ruling class of that system no longer believes in and more or less openly abandons what had been the cohering norms, the regulating set of beliefs and processes of that system. This again is part of a more general phenomenon 
where major change and even a real revolution can become possible or more possible, not simply when there is a deep crisis in society, and not just when the ruling forces are seriously divided, but when they actually split apart and the old way of ruling can no longer hold. B.A. goes on to describe what I just outlined in the Soviet Union as an example of this, as well as other important historical examples. And he applies these to the situation we face now. Here's what he says, speaking about the contemporary United States. As is becoming more clear every day, there are deep and continually deepening divisions, not only in this country overall, but among the ruling powers of this system. And as I will get into more fully in a little while, one part of those ruling powers, represented by the Republican Party, no longer believes in or feels bound by what have been the cohering norms of democratic capitalist rule in this country. This is leading and will increasingly lead to further deepening divisions and bitter clashes throughout society, as well as at the top. All the ruling institutions of this system will be increasingly affected by this. The polarization will continue to sharpen with forces grouped around and led by the Republican Party becoming even more aggressive in insisting on imposing, including by violent means, their vision of what makes America great, with all the very real horrors on top of horrors that this involves. All this itself will have contradictory effects, some definitely negative, but some positive or with positive potential. And as this unfolds, this profound truth will more and more forcefully be demonstrated. The crisis and deep divisions in society can only be resolved through radical means of one kind or another, either radically reactionary, murderously oppressive and destructive means, or radically emancipating revolutionary means. Gorbachev is dead. As the founder of communism, Karl Marx, once said, let the dead bury their dead. The point now is for we, the living, to study and grasp the most important lesson of his political life and fate and to turn this understanding to the task and to the perhaps once-in-a-lifetime opportunity before us today. The underlying crisis facing U.S. society is deep and existential, as was the crisis in the Soviet Union. And, in important ways, it is even more acute. The legitimating norms of this society are now openly being fought over in word and in real life. This crisis is not going away. And in fact, it's sharpening right now as we film this show. We can't afford 
to let such a crisis be resolved as it was in Russia in 1991 through the change from one set of imperialist norms to another, from one set of imperialist rulers to another. And we don't have to. The work I drew from just now, something terrible or something truly emancipating, contains the foundations to understand what we face and the roadmap out of the horror and into a revolution that can get humanity on the road to real emancipation. Get into this work. Get with it. And as the saying used to go, seize the time. The time is now. Seize the time. The time is now. That was Lenny Wolf speaking on the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show. New episodes every Thursday night at youtube.com slash the revcoms. And we are broadcasting here on the Michael Slate show. So happy to be with you nearing the end of the hour here on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, streaming live around the world at kpfk.org. Once again, my name is Sonsara Taylor. Happy to be the co-host with you today. We have to seize the day, lift our sights, not be blinded and trapped by the terms and the options given to us by the rulers of this system. We have to emancipate our minds and then go to work on emancipating all of humanity. I'm so happy to be able to share these perspectives with you here today, um, lifting our sights to real revolutions. So with that, I wanna thank Gary Baca for engineering in the studio. I wanna thank Henry Carson for producing and all the work that he does. I'm such a great uh, part of our team here. I wanna give my love and shout out to Michael Slate and thank all of you for tuning in. And finally, uh, remember, the problem is not human nature. It is the nature of the system. Through a real revolution, a better world is possible. I will talk to you next week. This is a story that we don't want nobody to forget.
Thank you. 